Hello and welcome to another episode of Midiara Meet, the monthly music podcast. It's not monthly. Uh, the music podcast where I speak to all sorts of people who work in sound and music. On the show this time, episode 41, we've got John Grant on the show. A wonderful man, an incredible talent. Uh, he's an amazing singer, songwriter. Uh, John was originally in a band called The Zars and in 2010 released his album Queen of Denmark to critical acclaim. He's since gone on to release a number of amazing albums uh, on the Bella Union record label and has just released uh, Boy From Michigan, which sounds absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I really appreciate the comments and all the reposts from everybody. I want to say a huge shout out to the people listening in America, in Germany, in Australia, all over the world. It's great to see people tuning in and I hope you're enjoying this as much as I do. Let's get on with the show though, shall we? And the first question I asked John was about his musical beginnings. You know, when I think about earliest memories, I think about ABBA and Supertramp and Roger Miller, because my dad had this eight track tape of Roger Miller. And we also we also had um, a bunch of li- my parents loved to listen to Olivia Newton-John. She had those those first couple of records of hers in the 70s, which were quite sort of country a little bit. My mom really loved country. And then my brothers were really into rock music. So Supertramp comes to mind. Uh, it's, it, I mean, they were listening to like Van Halen and Kiss and, and um, Molly Hatchet and Nazareth and uh, Black Sabbath and, you know, all that stuff. I remember listening to this Journey record called Infinity because my brothers had that too. So they had a, they had, and there was Beach Boys and and Bread. Bread is still um, one of my favorites. Um, David Gates has such an amazing voice. But I suppose the biggest one for me was like hearing ABBA for the first time, like hearing Eagle, first track off of um, ABBA, the album. Mm-hmm. And also hearing SOS for the first time. Oh yeah, I love that track. That's such a killer track. Yeah, man. Yeah, you mentioned- You know, and you- Go on. You know, that was like hearing my hearing synths too for the first time as well. Yeah, they were amazing. Oh, like lay lay all your love on me, Super Trooper and SOS. Yeah, they just got they have amazing. got beautiful synths in them, haven't they? Just wonderful yeah. richness. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. And where were you in the sort of brother where were you in the sort of age of the brothers? Which one were you? I w- I was the youngest. Are you? So they yeah. were six they were six or they were seven and nine years older than me. So they were quite far along. Cool. That's a, I think that's a great yeah. place to learn so, to get some musical influence from when you have older brothers. Yeah, totally. Sisters. Totally. Amazing. I agree. And so um yeah, go on. They, they there was a lot of Pink Floyd too. My brother, my the the younger of my two older brothers, he really loves Pink Floyd. So there was a lot of that as well. Excellent, man. And did you pick up instrument? When did you start picking up and playing instruments? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I started getting piano lessons when I was quite young. So I suppose it was, must have been when I was like six or seven, six, seven, eight, when I started 
um, getting piano lessons. And what were they it's like? Hard, I really, it's hard to remember anything, <laughs> you know, from that early. Yeah. But it's, and my mom's gone. So, I mean, I could ask her. She'd probably remember, you know, mm -hmm. when that all started. Yeah, yeah. And does, when do you, because there's a great quote that you said in an interview about synths. Um, there's nothing you loved more than the sound of synths. Yeah. And so when did, yeah, when did you, when did you play your first synth? Do you remember that? Well, when I played my first synth, it would have been like 82 or something like that. 81, maybe. I had a, I had a sequential circuits, um, six track. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I sold my saxophone to, cause I played saxophone too when I was, when I was young and I sold that, that uh, saxophone to buy that synth. That's a good and so that was pretty, yeah, it was <laughs> totally. Excellent. Well, can you just, what are the, what were some of the features of the six track? I mean, what could it do? It had like these six, it had like, I think it had a little bit of a, you, you could do short sequences on it. So it had like a little bit of a sequencer on it mm -hmm. is, is the trick that it had up its sleeve, but it was quite a short keyboard. You know, it was quite, it was quite small, but, um, you know, it was sort of what I could afford at the time. Yeah. But of course, I would have given anything to have like an Oberheim or a, a Prophet, you know, an Ober, uh, the Oberheim XA or um, an Oberheim 8. Yeah. Um, you know, those ones with the little blue lines on them? Yeah. I think with the those X... Were... Yeah, they're beautiful. Uh, with like the wooden, yeah. the wooden paneled sides and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I remember going into a store and seeing those. Um, but it's I, it's hard to remember the six the sixth track was um, I don't know I remember going into the store because I wanted to learn how to play this the synth and learn my way around it and I went into the store and they were you know they're charging you for these synth lessons you know and the guy was just like so what do you want to know <laughs> and I I didn't know I didn't know you know I was I was expecting him to tell me what I don't know you know. Mm. So the lesson only lasted for a few minutes, you know, and that was it. That that was very sort of anticlimactic and, and quite boring. I was very disappointed in that exchange. Um, but yet it had it had cool sounds. And I remember I used it in school once to give a demonstration. I had to give a speech. And so I gave a demonstration on my synth. Nice. And everybody thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. The guy, the guy who brings the synth in and does the speech from a synth. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, you could, I mean, you could layer, you could layer sounds on it. So you could have, you know, different sequences going. So I think it was quite, you know, quite advanced at the time. Definitely, definitely. A friend of mine does have the six track um, in his rack. Um, I think the oh, really? yeah, the module version of it. So I've seen it and, and sort of, but we, I don't think we ever turned it on because he had so much other stuff that was amazing. Um, yeah, we, we, but, um, I know it's great. And also the, there was the Prophet 600, which was like quite an early, early sort of synth, which, um, is also, they're all amazing. All those old, all those old beasts, aren't yeah. they? the sequential circuit stuff. You know what I wish I could have is a, is a, is a Prophet T8. Okay. That What's thing is, it's so incredible. I think it's, it, you know, it's one of the only other synths that, that had a polyphonic aftertouch. 
I think didn't you photo haven't didn't you take a photograph of yourself with that in your Yes. Yeah, because yes. your hands on it on your Twitter account, your old Twitter account saying like I'm sorry for posting this pornography or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> what is it about the T eight? It it could have been. Benj has one of those down in in he has one of those at his place in in uh, Cornwall. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, it's beautiful. You know, I love those brass. I love the brassy, the brass sounds, those creamy brass sounds from Prophet and from Oberheim. So classic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. Yeah, you've um, you talked about Benj's place being like the happiest, the happiest time of your life in previous interviews. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of. I mean, that was one of the happiest times in my life. You know, beyond you know, growing up in the seventies in Michigan, you know, just like in modern times, I just felt like a kid again. It was, it was truly special that time. Definitely. Definitely. So I would, I would stick with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you said something like you want your sister to go there when you've passed away so she can see what it was like. <laughs> yeah. If you want to see where I was, where your brother was truly happy. <laughs> It, you know, it's, there's a lot of truth to that. It was pretty incredible. It does sound idyllic, man. Not only the, yeah. the synths, but the surroundings too. Um, oh, can you yeah. describe it a little bit? That, like what, what synths did they have? What sort of took your fancy there that was in his studio? Well, I mean, he has, he has so much. He has, um, like I mentioned, he has the Prophet T8. He has the... Um, a lot of the different um, Korg scents, like the uh, or, or tons of the of the Roland stuff, like the Roland two, and he has a System one hundred, um, you know, modular, and he has um, like an ARP, you know, the the twenty five hundred modular, mm-hmm. which is absolutely incredible, and he has the Surge uh, modular, and he's got an Emu Emu uh, modular, nice. and then he's got. Um, I can't remember what that first Moog one was called. It's like the TC3 or something like that. Do you remember what those are called? I can't. It was like one of the first um, Moog modulars. Um, and he met Bob. He has pictures of himself with Bob. Oh, wow. And Bob told him that the cabinets on the one that he has were made from trees in his backyard. Oh, those initial wow. Because they were some of the first. That's amazing. So, I always forget. So I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably butchering the name of that one, but you know, we used that a lot as well. Um, he's got a CS 80 as well. Nice. Yamaha, mm. which is, you know, just beyond. He's got the EMU uh, synth, the um, what's it, what's that one called? Do you remember? The emulator? The, the, yeah. The emulator. It's like a big sampler thing. He's also got um, like uh Bukla, he's got the Bukla modular and he's got one of the easels. Oh, such a beautiful device, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Super incredible. And then he's got like a a Korg, of course, Korg MS-20. I think he's got an MS-10. And um, let's see, the Roland uh, 2, the Roland, I think the 3 or 5 that I used on Diet Gum that I really, I think it might have been the 3. That one was really cool. I loved playing around with that one. Mm, you also mentioned a love of the uh, the Korg Monopoly. Oh my god, that thing is bonkers. I have one over there, <laughs> and you and you love it, right? It's amazing. It's it's unbelievable. 
It's really one of the best ones. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how much I love that thing. I just got one from, uh, I just got a Behringer one. It's in my living room right now. Nice, nice. And it, it sounds really incredible, I have to say. Yeah, they've done a good job on the replication. Um, but yeah, like the voice, the voice um, sequ- sequencing you can do on it, the cross-modulation, there's yeah. so much stuff to that. And it's just, it punches. It's just pure, it isn't it? It punches, Yes. That's the thing. It's so punchy and those, it's so industrial. It's a great industrial synth, like for industrial music, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, man. Absolutely. You can get those really beautiful metallic tones. And um, of course, in my studio, I have a, um, I have a Moog One. Excellent. Which is, you know, pretty deep and incredible. I have a, an OB6 and a Prophet 12 and um, a Korg. a Korg uh, MS-20 Excellent. and uh, an SH-101. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, classic. Yeah, a beautiful sparkly blue one. Oh, you got a blue one. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a, a Mini Moog and, uh, you know, the, the, um, and the Juno 106, which is, you know, worth its weight in gold, of course. Yeah, and I have classic. a Juno six, and I have a I have an Access Virus uh, two, shit, and uh, a Mellotron, and then I have um, let's see, well, have oh, Mellotron. I have the yeah, oh. one of the new ones, the big you know the big one. I don't know why it has to be that big because I don't <laughs> think there's any. <laughs> I think the small one is just fine. Yeah, but that thing sounds amazing. It sounds really amazing, and uh, let's see, I have the. Um, I have the Matrix Brute from uh, Arturia, which is really beautiful. Yeah, that's a beast. Yeah, it really is. And um, I'm going to be getting the Poly Brute very soon. Cool. Yeah. Nice, man. If you look online, I'm the first person who ever posted a Poly Brute video because I posted an April Fool about five years or four years before it was released to pretend that the Arturia Mini Brute could become polyphonic. So it's oh, the wow. title of the video is the Arturia Polybrute about four years before it came out. <laughs> oh, holy shit. How cool. So I, I'm going to look that up afterwards. Yeah, man. It's like me acting, pretending about a feature that's not in a synth just for like April Fool's Day. Uh, awesome. Still people ask me about how, why doesn't it work? <laughs> still get comments. And so um, what album were you working on at Benji's studio? Yeah, I was working on that last, uh, that last one, Love is Magic. Excellent. Yeah, it's very, there's a lot of electronic stuff in there, isn't there? Real chunky, chunky vibes to yeah. the synths in that. Totally. Yeah. And I really, yeah, that was really uh, an amazing experience doing all of that. I also used, a, um, he has an Oberheim 4 voice, and that thing is a beast as well. I mean, so unbelievably fat. <laughs> the tones that come out of that thing there is an oberheim i'm not sure which one it is i think it's the the o the ox i think the one of the bigger yeah. ones and you can lift yes. the lid up on it and you can detune the oscillators by turning some trimmer pots in on the pcb so wow. i know i've got friends that have got really nice studios and you sometimes go around and they've got like the lid lifted up and you're like i know what you're doing with that <laughs> <laughs> 
that must sound amazing. Yeah, it's like sort of open heart surgery on the synth, but then it it, it you just de- you just detune the oscillators off each other a little bit to just really fatten up this stereo image. Yeah. Yes. I love that stuff. I love the people that actually like yeah, go that deep into synthesis. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I I I find when it comes to sound design, I'm not that great. I mean, I'm I think I'm I'm getting good at it, but I I still sort of don't trust myself to do a lot of the things that I see the pros doing cuz I I always I'm worried about fucking it up and you have to be really um I don't know Benj Benj has like an encyclopedic knowledge of these things and how they work and about what every single function is going to do so when you ask him you know he can tell you oh this he can explain it in detail scientifically or f- for the layman or you know mm-hmm. and uh I'm not like that but um I do know that um yeah, I just can't get enough of them. Uh, that's and great. I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever stop buying them. <laughs> <laughs> I think once you get started going down that road, you know. Definitely, definitely, man. Especially things like the SH101. There's just a magic to that filter, just moving that filter fader up a little bit and healing, feeling the sort of squeal and the the squawk of that yes. thing. It's yeah, yeah, amazing. it's incredible that little thing. What that what that thing is capable of, isn't it? Mm, definitely 100 steps it's quite shocking <laughs> it's got also got the bender they're like the the mod the mod bender thing it's a called bender and it uh yeah you can yeah it's a really sort of inter- a bit like the nord keyboards the way they've got that little piece of wood it's sort yeah of like, i love that thing yeah me too yeah i've got a um i do have a nord uh nord lead three yeah did you play was... and it has the Go on. and it has the little um it's the one that has the leds around the pots Mm-hmm. you know so you can see the the location of where you are it's really cool and then it's got the little it's got the little bender with the little wooden bender with that your finger just fits in so nicely there yeah i was talking to annie clang a few episodes ago who's a techno producer and we were just yeah yeah we, we we were talking about that little piece of wood for about you know 10 minutes just like how great it is no one else has done it it's it just feels quality you really feel like some connection to the sound through it totally. and it's just it's a piece of wood it's like genius that's a swedish they're swedish yeah. aren't they nord um yeah that's amazing. right did um yeah did you because i saw you play in the attenborough center last year january 2020 i think oh, wow. there was a nord lead on stage there if i yeah we always have that on uh we always have that on tour with us doing midi stuff and you know just feeding things into it to um you know, feeding the MIDI into it so that we can mess with the, you know, tweak the sounds and stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, that gig was, um, it was really incredible. Uh, like it, it was really amazing to hear your voice live and to really like feel it through the PA as well. It was, um, oh, wow. a very powerful experience. I can say that. <laughs> Thank you. That's great to hear, man. Yeah. Um, let's talk about strings, because there are a lot of your tracks which are beautifully orchestrated. Um, mm. Going back a few of your albums, yeah, where did that sort of love of strings and orchestration come from? That's a good question. I mean, I suppose it comes from my classical upbringing. Um, but I, I just love, um, I, I, I guess I've always just loved a, a really creamy string section, you know? Um because it's funny because I don't, I often don't like listening to orchestral recordings because I find the dynamics are so difficult. You know, when, you know, when listening to a full orchestra, 
you know, it's too loud. If you turn it way up, then when it gets loud, it's, it's over the top. And then it's so dynamic that you just, you have to keep, you know, changing the, the volume. I find either I can't hear it or it's, it's driving me insane, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I don't know. I think there's a, um, I remember a long time ago, there was this piece by Henry Mancini called Lujon, L-U-J-O-N. And I heard it in Sexy Beast. And, um, the film. Yeah. It was used, that piece of music was used in that. But I remember growing up listening to Henry Mancini and, and, you know, hearing, uh, you know, I really love soundtracks. So, you know, like, um, Howard Shore, his horror soundtracks, like his horror, like his, uh, scores for stuff like seven, you know, I've always been quite inspired by that sort of thing. So, I mean, I've always felt like, you know, my music would lend itself to something like that quite, quite nicely. Oh, it does. So I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's where it comes from. Um, but I really love horror scores, you know, so maybe it comes from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, um, I think no more so than I wrote down three songs that really the string sections, um, yeah. are incredible. They all begin with G. I don't know why this happened, but Glacier, uh, Global Warming yeah. and Geraldine, just such powerful string sections, all of those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Fiona Bryce that, that has, that did that arranging of those for me. Mm. And she's, she worked on, um, uh, Queen of Denmark and then she did, um, yeah, then she did, she worked on the next two records as well. Yeah. Really um, beautiful. And it's also, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let her know that you said that she'll be chuffed. I got a text from her yesterday. So, Oh, great. Yeah. Please do let her know. Yeah. And you, you did also perform with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. Yeah. Which I listened to this morning. It's absolutely amazing. I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was quite an experience. I mean, and then I did the thing with, um, I did the Scott Walker prom, which was incredible working with that orchestra as well. So, and worked with the Royal Northern Symphonia, you know, doing stuff up at, at the Sage and Gateshead. Um, it's, I, it's pretty amazing. I, I do love, I do love um, working with an orchestra. It's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world at the beginning, but um, the people were always quite gracious and kind, so it was it was a a really positive experience. Hmm. And how does it? I mean, how do you integrate that into your music if you have an idea? Yeah, how do you integrate them into a song? I mean, I feel like the songs just lend themselves so much. The instrumentation usually, I mean, because a lot of the you know a lot of the synth stuff that I love are those beautiful. I mean, I really love beautiful pads, you know. And so I use a lot of that stuff anyway. So it just makes sense to use a string section or an orchestra to do those things. And I suppose my love of, you know, brass and brass sections comes from James Bond, you know, a lot of the John Barry stuff, um, you know, I'm such a fan of, and I don't know, I love, I just love French horns and trombones and especially, you know, and also the woodwinds, I think, you know, bass clarinet is sort of my favorite. Mm. I think that is such an incredible sound and you can really, you can really do those things quite well with synths. And so I think a lot of the things that I grew up hearing on synths are sort of, you know, they were representations of what you would hear from an orchestra. So um, I suppose that melds quite nicely together, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. The sort of the, the power and the emphasis on sometimes on low end sounds, you can feel like the, 
sort of like a wave, a wave crashing, like the sort of the bass, the low end of it sort of coming round on a brass instrument. But yeah, equally you can yeah. get that on a, like on a nice synth envelope. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had, there's a sound on the, there's a patch on the, on the 106, the Juno. It sounds exactly like a bass clarinet and I can't get enough of it. Sometimes I just sit there and play it all afternoon. <laughs> you know, nothing in particular, but just listening to that sound. That is quite a that is quite a flexible little beast that Juno 106. It is. Do you have one of those? Or are you a fan of those? Or uh, I used to have a Juno six, and I modified yeah. it to be a Juno 66, which mean meant it had chord memory, unison voices. The Tubutech. Yes. The Tubutech mod. Yeah, I have that on my six as well. Excellent. Maybe yeah. you can give me some pointers on because um, you can use the chord memory with the arpeggiator right oh i don't know yeah i i imagine you can yeah you can for sure um it it, it talks about and i have the tubutech manual and it talks about how you can you know set the chord memory and then turn on the arpeggiator and have it be playing have the arpeggiator be working all these chords and i and i have to get that going because that's supposed to be the the mutt's nuts <laughs> <laughs> I will read the manual after this conversation and I'll find out. I honestly didn't know you could do that. Um, and unfortunately... It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, that's way cool. That's super cool to be able to arpeggiate chords. Yeah, I mean, my, a friend of mine designs an arpeggiator, which I sell as like a hardware unit. And I'd love to send you one of them, man. It's a MIDI arpeggiator, little box. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, actually, just before your gig, when you played in Brighton, I was frantically sending you like Twitter messages trying to get in touch so I could give you one before the gig. Um, but obviously, oh, man. you got way more important things to be doing before a gig. Well, I, it doesn't sound like I do. That's pretty damn important. <laughs> I mean, arpeggiators, are, that's one of the most beautiful things in the world for me. Yeah. I can't get enough arpeggiators <laughs> going. Man, I will send you one for sure. Oh, that would be that would be fantastic, Chris. Yeah. I'd love that. What were you going to say then, especially when you're... Well, when you have like, like the Prophet 12 has, you know, four LFOs and, and, you know, you can basically have four different arpeggiators going in different directions. You know, you can have an arpeggiator on each of the oscillators and um, it's just incredible because it's just moving and undulating and going all over the place. And you've got those of those different LFOs affecting each one differently and... I love that when you can when you get lost in it and you really and you can't really tell at all what's going on anymore, you know. Yeah, and time just flies by and you're just in this this spaceship yeah. spaceship land. Totally. Yeah, I love that stuff, man. Um you 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 mentioned uh, in an interview about um your track Tempest and about how you you made a loop in Reason using an arpeggiator. Yeah. When you were in Sweden in Gothenburg. That's right. And it was a ping pong loop that you 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 so like you 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 lost the laptop and then you yep. did, yeah you had to like remake the this thing that you did in Ableton. I love that story man. Yeah. Well done for doing that. That's that's like Oh, dedication. thank you. I mean, yeah, I had a I had a I had an an audio clip of it. I had like an MP3 clip of that loop. So I just can't believe that I was able to recreate it, but I was just so determined because it was one of my favorite things. That sequence is is one of my personal favorite things that I've done. And I love, you know, and when we did that on the, um, I can't remember what we used. I think we might've used, um, we might've used an SH-101 and then we put it through the, the filter of the um, Roland 100. 
And um, oh, so beautiful. <laughs> That's one of my favorite songs I've ever done, Tempest. I love that thing. It's fantastic, man. Um, it's fantastic. And I, I didn't realize until I, I was reading up on preparing for this interview that that was, uh, yeah, relating to the video game Tempest. Yeah. Yeah, that that and um, Millipede were, have always been my favorite games to play. And I still I still play Tempest all the time. I love the sounds. It has the most incredible sounds. I don't know if you're familiar, but... I know the game, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I know the game. Cool. And also, um, I think Jeff Minter, who's like a like an eccentric British video game programmer, he programmed Tempest Two Thousand, which was like the sort of a later incarnation of it. And I don't know if you know yes. any of Jeff Minter's uh, games. They're all like really wacky, sort of way out video games. Would you send me his name? Sure. So I can look him up. Sure. Yeah, Jeff Minter. That sounds like something I'm going to need to explore. Yeah, man. I do. I am sitting here with a. Uh, Commodore 60, a NES and a Commodore 64 to my right. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So you must love, you must love all the, I mean, all that 8-bit stuff is just, you know, precious to me. Definitely, man. Where, where were you playing those video games? Um, I, w I was in Denver. It was, you know, 1980. <laughs> I think Tempest came out in 79. And soon after that, you know, there was all these other ones. Um, I mean, Qbert has amazing sounds on it as well. Qbert and Defender and Stargate and uh, uh, Joust and Centipede and Millipede and and um, Galaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. There's something so. I mean, particularly this. Oh, and Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love the simplicity of the gameplay. That's like that, like draws you in so quickly. But yeah, the sound effects and the music and the little, yeah, the little f trills and frills of things that are happening in yeah. the game. Uh, they're yeah. beautiful, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, there's still a ton of those things that I, that I would love to be able to, I'd love to, to know how they did like the spider on Centipede because the spider has such a really cool sound. It's like a, it sounds like something arpeggiated, actually, like a really tiny loop. Mm -hmm. But I can't get I can't get over how those things must have been programmed. Do you know about all that? Yeah, I think they had um, they had other software to to program the the sound effects with, and then wow. but all yeah, I mean I, I know I know from my Atari ST days that I have this thing called Sound Effects Programmer, and you can put it into your Atari ST and um, yeah, make sound effects all day long just using the sound wow. chip. And in fact, wow. I don't want to plug my own shit, but I have done a free chiptune sample pack, which is sampled from the C64, the Game Boy, the Atari ST, and the Teenage Engineering Pocket Operator. So they're all just funny sound effects that I made for about... Two Where is that available? Um, I, uh, yeah, it's online. It's on my SoundCloud account, but I'll, I can send it to you. It's well, that would be great. lo-fi I mean, stuff. Yeah, I love that stuff. Cool, I mean, Benj and I just spent a whole day one day just making sound effects on the Moog, on the on the giant Moog. Uh, I love, um, you know, like sparkling, glittering, uh, like descending and ascending arpeggiator stuff. You know, that's that's usually like transformation sounds. You know, when something's going, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot get enough of that shit, I gotta say. There's some of them that fuse so well with the visuals that it's almost like 
one organic thing happening. Do yeah. you find that? Yeah. Like the, the way like a ghost Absolutely. just appears and floats away and you don't even recognise totally. the difference between the, the animation and this. You don't even decompose it. It's just like it's a, it's an experience that you, you it's a thing yeah. you experience. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that somebody thought that up and that it didn't just always occur like that naturally. Yeah, and like one guy programming the game and the music and the sound effects in his bedroom. There's, um, totally. I have some friends that do a podcast called The Retro Hour, and they do talk to people who do music and sound effects in old video games, going way back, going back to, yeah, the 70s. Um, yeah, maybe I can send wow. you some choice ones of those. I'm sure they've spoken to Jeff Minter, who did the later versions of Tempest. Um, right. He's a really funny guy. He's like your typical eccentric. I th actually, I think I might be doing. I might have said he was English earlier. I think he might be Welsh. I might have done him a big disservice there. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, you really. I, I've learned that myself the hard way. That one. <laughs> I mean, I you know, uh, in my early days of you know when I first started coming to England, I did not know that Wales was a separate country. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. <laughs> And and one learns very quickly, doesn't one? Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned um, transformation, the sound of transformation, and um, yes, you mentioned that in in horror that you liked. If you were to be an actor at any point that you would like to have like a role that had a transformation in it? Yeah, like I, I love body horror, you know? So, um, so yeah, to be, you know, like, I mean, one of my favorite scenes of any movie is, of course, you can probably guess it, or when I say it, you'll, um, the, the werewolf transformation scene in American Werewolf in London and the werewolf transformations and the howling as well were quite incredible. And so, I don't know, there's just something about, I, there's something that I can't get enough of. There's also, there's an early, there was a a horror movie, which was quite bad, but amazing in the seventies called, uh, it's just like letter S seven times. And it's about people. It's about people transforming into snakes. Wow. And actually I have a picture right here in my wall of my favorite scene from that movie. And it's where this guy goes to a circus and he sees this man who um, is in the process of transforming into a snake. Wow. Oh, Can you wow. see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, I saw this the first time in the 70s and it just, <laughs> it was absolutely horrifying. I love that slogan that but, says, don't say it, hiss it. <laughs> right? Yeah. That was the slogan. Amazing. That's cool, man. What is it? What is yeah, it? Yeah, I've, I've got horror stuff all over the place, you know. This is another transformation one. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Prophecy? I haven't seen Prophecy, no. But that's a beautiful poster, isn't it? Yeah, Can gorgeous. You see that? Yeah, absolutely. From the little, from the little zygote. <laughs> um, let's see. And then this is from the movie that I talk about on my record. That's Mia Farrow in... Um, I did a song on the new record called uh, Dandy Star. And this is a, that's a horror movie about um, Mia Farrow is playing a blind girl and she, everyone in the house has been slaughtered. And so she discovers, so she comes home while the killer is still in the house and everyone's dead. And she spends the night in the house with everyone dead. And then she wakes up in the morning 
and starts walking around the house. And of course she's blind. So she has to stumble across all these dead bodies. Whoa. And then, and then the killer comes back for her and um, is terrorizing her in the house. And I saw that on the TV when I was a kid and it's, um, it, it terrified me. It was sort of traumatic experience. <laughs> The movie doesn't really hold up, but there's some there's some chilling scenes in it still, like the discovery, what this girl goes through. And, you know, the guy breaks glass around. So she ends up walking on all this broken glass. And I don't know, as a, as a kid, I was just terrified for her, you know? I'm, I'm terrified for her now. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> totally. That's a great but, um, setup. But the song is about, you know, the song, the reason she's blind is because she fell off her horse and the name of her horse in that movie is Dandy Star. And so the song on my record, which is called Dandy Star is, is about um, that movie. And it's about her relationship with this horse and that the, you know, the horse, even though he was sort of the cause of the, of her blindness, that he's also going to be the one to take her away from this horror, you know, mm, I don't know. I, I really love that song. Yeah, I really like that too. I I don't know, I've wanted to do something about that movie and it's it's not because the movie is so great. It's about, you know, just obviously how it affected me when I was a little boy in the 70s, you know. Definitely, man. Definitely. Um that sounds way cool. I I really want to check that out. I I can just imagine the the like because she's blind, I can imagine her like some of the things that happen when she's first yeah. walking around and she maybe nearly trips over a corpse or just doesn't yeah, yeah. touch one. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, that yes. sounds like Alfred Hitchcock uh, times a thousand. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, actually, the initial one is that she wakes up in her bedroom that she shares with her cousin. And the cousin is just lying there slaughtered on the on the bed next to her. And she wakes up and is just calling out people's names, you know, and it's. Yeah, I was horrified. And they just show the boots. They just show the boots of the killer. And it's funny because now when I see it these days, it's sort of comical because the boots he's wearing, it looks like he's on his way to like a leather club to have a good time. <laughs> it's really sort of, it's really sort of funny, but perhaps. Yeah, is. I'd be, I'd be anxious to, I'd be anxious to hear what you think of that song when you hear it. Definitely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So your album's out on next, is it next month? Um, not quite. It's, uh, if today were already May, it would be next month. I, sorry. Yeah, I'm assuming it's May. I've lost track of all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tell man. me about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, June 25th is when the album comes out cool. and there's going to be one more single to come out. So there'll be four songs will have been released and then there's eight more songs to discover on the record. And so the next one to come out is Billy, and that comes out on May 18th. Excellent. That's the last fantastic. track on the record. Mm. They really sound fantastic, man. Really, really enjoying them. And Thank you. you worked with Kate LeBon on the album. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read that you, you began that at the same time the presidential election was happening and the lockdown was happening. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? What was the experience of making that album like to not ask too much of a generic question? No, I mean, it, you know, it was just a really stressful time. It was a really, I mean, because we loved being together, but we were also sort of, I mean, they were they were a long way from home. It was Kate and her engineer, Samer. And, you know, it was, I think it was, you know, they saw that we were making a beautiful thing 
And so they decided to stay on because, of course, everything was canceled in everybody's diaries. And so they stayed on an extra month to what they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Initially, so they were here for two months at the beginning. And, you know, there was a lot of joy. There was a lot of just, you know, unadulterated joy in creating this thing. But there was also a lot of tension because everybody's personal lives were so affected. And also we were seeing what was going on with the, I mean, the election thing in the States, you know, that was sort of, I have to say that was sort of tearing me apart, you know, to just see that. But I mean, you know, most of my family supported, you know, what was going on there at the beginning too. And, you know, they just sort of, people just seem to think that, I don't want to get off on this political tangent, so don't worry. But, you know, just when, you know, people thought that Trump was no different than any other president we've ever had. And that's just mind boggling to me. Yeah, he does seem like he was a, a completely different prospect than anyone previously that I know of who's been in yeah. charge of the US. And, you know, him giving a, him giving a new voice to, you know, the ugliest of the ugly you know, just allowing all of that to be brought out to the surface, you know, all of the nastiness and, you know, the whole white supremacist angle and the fascism, you know, they were really going for the authoritarianism. They were really going for it, you know, and it looked like they were going to win too. And I mean, that stressed the fuck out of me, you know, because I just, so yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, it, you know, it's, it's good in some ways because all of that went into the record as well. And and it was good for the record, but I think we were all we were all quite frazzled and sort of, you know, emotionally <laughs> exhausted and physically by the end of this. But you know, Kate is Kate is a pro, and and she was a badass, you know, all the way through it, and just really helped k- keep me going and and you know, help me focus the sound, you know, f- to a, a cohesive whole. Mm. You know, all in all, it was fantastic, but it was it was stressful because, you know, you just didn't know what the fuck is going on in this world. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are, you know, living with their partners and, um, you know, that's put so much pressure on even the greatest, you know, on, let's say on paper, the greatest relationships have all really struggled during the last year because you yeah. just just that intensity and the, the dynamics um, were so restricted so yeah. yeah, you've done an amazing job to get an album together, get it ready. <laughs> it's sounded Thank amazing. You. And you have also said previously when it comes to art, you say like say everything. Yeah, I mean I mean there are things that I I wouldn't say I wouldn't I suppose everything is a little bit exaggerated, but I think I think you just definitely shouldn't be thinking about what people are going to think about what you're going to say. You know, I think yeah, I just think it's really important that when you go into the studio that you lock out the world and just do exactly, say exactly what you feel like you need to say. But I also think it's important to think about the motivation behind it as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't suppose I would say anything, but, and there have times, there have been times when I've written a song because I wanted to be hurtful because I felt hurt. Um, but you know, that's a lot more revealing about me than it is about anybody that I would want to hurt, isn't it? You know, because, you know, because I think people know instinctively that's just a wounded animal who's reacting, you know? So, yeah, but I, I just think motivation is important too. And so when I'm writing a song, I think I, I go through a long, you know, there's, I always talk about this on every album cycle is, you know, there's like a long distillation process or sometimes with some songs 
because I want to get away from worrying about what people are going to think about what I'm saying or worrying about how I'm going to be perceived. Um, if it's the truth of the situation, then even though it may be ugly, um, I think that's, that's okay because that's just part of the human experience. Absolutely. You know, if it's not pretty or comfortable. So I suppose that's quite obvious, but sometimes, you know, you can really, you can really get yourself, you think too much or overthink how you want to say something. And so sometimes it can be quite a process to make sure that you're distilling something down to its essential elements. So it's, you know, the thing that you set out to create and not this thing that, that is covered by all these layers of how you want to be perceived or say, I want to sound cool on this, or I want to sound strong. You know, I mean, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. I think mm. I think that's one of your absolute strengths is is putting your vulnerability mm. and your emotions into 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 words and into song that um mm. yeah it's it's really to be admired and commended um there are not I don't Thank think you. there are many I don't think there are many songwriters like you that have that ability to put your absolute heart and soul into a song um alongside it being very funny at times as well <laughs> yeah, I mean that's an important component for me and maybe that's why it works, you know. But but thank you, but uh, you know, I think for me it's because that's what everyday life is like. When you're experiencing all this heavy shit, like say your mother's dying or something like that, there's still funny shit happening right in the middle of all that every day. You never get you never get that thing all by itself. You get so many snippets of things happening around you in everyday life, you know, like there's a radio on in the background. So you're hearing about what's happened somewhere else or somebody's saying something extremely funny. So you find yourself laughing in the middle of this horrifying moment. I mean, that's what everyday life is like. And so I sort of, I think I often want to show that, you know, as sort of just like a, because it makes, because that's, that's the real human experience. Cause we never get to deal with any of this shit separately. It's all at the same time with everything else that's going on. That's a very good point. Yeah. Mm. And um, just when you were speaking there, you, you very much reminded me of, uh, you know, Keith Flint from The Prodigy uh, when he committed suicide. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I went, I took the trip to uh, Braintree to the to go to his funeral because Prod The Prodigy to me were mm. like the biggest band in my whole life. Right. And it yeah. was it was exactly like you were saying. It was a mix of like glory and fun mixed with absolute heartache and pain in one day it was like yeah. amazing there were so many amazing people there there were sound systems all over braintree everyone in the cars was blasting the prodigy it was this really surreal wow. experience it's full of people everywhere but yet there was this church service that was in the middle of it that was like it was just such a contrasting day of emotions and yeah you, you sort of reminded me of that yeah and that and that's that must have been incredible You'll never forget that, will you? No, no way. Like the people I met that day, I mean, I'm sort of welling up thinking about it now because it was, mm. it was tough. It was a tough time. Um, so yeah, that's very true, man. It's very true that you say those two things coexist. Yeah. I mean, I remember sort of, I remember just another example, a short example of that. It was like when I was getting sober and I felt so fucked up and I, you know, and I, 
I just felt like I could see what how long the road was ahead of me and everything. And then my brother had a little boy that was born. And I remember seeing pictures of this baby coming into the world that day. And I remember just being very emotional thinking about what my life had been. And now there was this joyous, joyous event happening in the family, you know, my brother having his first son. And um, it felt very emotional because it was such a clash of, you know, because I felt like I was dying and here was this new, fresh thing coming into being with a completely blank slate, you know, and I thought about, it just made me think about that's how it always is. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what's going on every day, always, all the time, you know? Yeah, man. And it doesn't, it never stops. Yeah. How, I mean, yeah, you've done tremendously well. Cause I know you had, you, you, you did, su you did suffer with um, addictions or you have suffered with addictions. Um, yeah. And you've, um, yeah, I mean, that's not an easy thing to overcome at all. No, it isn't. Um, it's definitely worth it. And and there's even times when you sort of, it's sort of hard to be with a completely awake brain at times. You know, there's times when you wish you could just shut your brain off the way you used to. But, you know, it's, there's a lot to be said for just sticking with a feeling, even if it's not comfortable for you, instead of escaping it, you know? A hundred percent, man. Yeah, a hundred percent. So it's worth it. But I mean, it is a hard journey. And I don't know. It's just, it's a crazy world. You know, then you have people who can try a little bit of everything and do anything and they never get addicted because that it just, it's just not that way for them at all, you know? And, and, um, and then you have to spend, you know, half your life getting over something like that, you know, because you, because it's almost completely destroyed you. It's just wild. Um, mm. but we are individuals, aren't we? I mean, that's one, one, you know, the, that's one of the great paradoxes I find is that we're all, in this together and experiencing very similar things, but each of us in a way that nobody else out of 8 billion people will experience it. It's quite mind boggling. And we're all sort of talking about the same things, right? But never quite because nobody perceives anything exactly like somebody else. And I, I find that, I mean, that's sort of mind blowing to me. It is, it is, especially, yeah, I think all of the minutiae and things that have happened and influences and people that have come and gone in our lives and the way we were all brought up, the way we were sort of, I don't know, served dinner as a child is all a little bit different. And we're sort of fundamentally on the same path. But yeah, there, there are there are small changes in there. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing when you think you're speaking the same language with somebody and, you know, the perception can be completely different. and. You know, my brothers, like my older brothers, they loved their childhood and they thought it was fantastic. So when they see me and my sister and how fucked up we are, they're always like, we don't know what you guys are talking about. Our childhood was great. But it was weird because our parents were completely different people by that time, by the time we came around, you know. Mm -hmm. And you're totally affected by everything that's going on. Um, I don't know. I, I don't mean to go down a rabbit hole here, it's but fine. it's it's just... Um, it's fascinating how how something how how we perceive things totally differently as individuals. Definitely, um, and I guess also on the other side of that, you can be you can meet someone in a random location in a random place who's had a very similar experience to you, and then connect with them, and that's that's also that's an amazing thing that can happen, isn't it? Yeah, those are amazing moments too, and because the world can seem like a very scary place, and then you go out there and you find. Um, yeah, like what you said, that you just never know what's going to happen. 
and 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 a lot of times it's something pretty incredible. Yeah, man. Do do you find that you're able to express yourself when you use other languages? Because I know you're a multilingual polyglot. Um, do you find yeah. Sure. Yeah, do you find that you're able to express yourself well in certain things in other languages? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. But I think it's, I mean, it's sort of different personalities, like different personalities, different languages have sort of different personalities for me. Like speaking Russian is totally different to, I feel like I have a totally different personality to when I'm speaking German. Because those languages sort of, um, they sort of dictate that. And that's a very interesting thing to think about sort of psycholinguistics or whatever that, you know, because we as individuals, we affect the way the language changes and, and, but often the structure of a language sort of dictates how we will express ourselves either, or how we will express ourselves as well because of the, the grammar, you know, the, the rules that are in place for how the language functions. So, I mean, something like German, it's, it was, I remember when I lived there, you could see people, you could see the language as people became proficient in the language, people from other countries, you could see how it would change their personality, you know? So that was quite an interesting thing to behold. I don't know. I mean, Noam Chomsky definitely has a lot of thoughts on that. It's quite fascinating, though, because he's one of the premier linguists in the world, you know? He's the most famous American linguist um, and has written a lot about it. But um, you mostly hear about it in political context, don't you? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, there was time. I mean, as I get older and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn Icelandic now and it's going really well, but it's quite a slow process, you know, partially because I'm not in my teens or twenties anymore. And, you know, as the language, the language center sort of closes down during that time. And I really, I really, mine sort of seemed to stay open for quite a bit longer. And I was able to you know, achieve proficiency in German to an extent that I, you know, that I was able to express myself better in German at one point than I could in English, for sure, nice. while I was going to school there. But um, I wouldn't say that's the case anymore. I think my English caught up to my, to my level in German, you know, and I think English is definitely the one that I can express myself best in with most anything. It's hard, it's hard to keep all these up when you don't live in the country and use them, you know, in conversation every day. But it's not something that I ever stop studying. You know, I'm always studying words in all the different languages. And it's just sort of a lifestyle for me. I never get tired of, I've got, you know, my, I've got tons of books in German and tons of books in Russian and books in Icelandic and Spanish and all sorts of different languages. And I love to just take one off the shelf and, and you know, read for a while in it and it just keeps all these little things, it keeps all these languages going in your head, you know? Definitely. And I th that's such an admirable character trait for an English speaker, because we're notoriously lazy bastards who go to foreign yeah. countries and just shout really loud in English and point at people. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. so that is just, that's such an admirable character trait that you have. And it's, a, it's definitely a skill, you know, there's some, you know, it's definitely a skill that you have there to be able to do that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and I'm, I'm quite grateful for it, I have to say. And, and um, it just, it's just extremely rewarding because there's all sorts of phrases and idiomatic ways and colloquialisms, ways of expressing yourself in other languages that we don't have in our language. And it makes you think about, things differently. It literally gives you a different perspective on life, you know? 
hundred percent. I'm just one of my favorite examples to give is like, I mean, when you when you think about the phrase to take a nap, it's quite a normal phrase, and I and I imagine you as an individual, Chris, you probably think about sleep, right, and taking a break. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the phrase to take a nap in Icelandic is at least one of the phrases that is used quite often here is of of falsia kriu, which means a kriya is an Arctic tern. It's a type of bird that's quite prevalent here. And so basically the phrase means to take an Arctic tern, you know, like to take this, the name of this bird. And, but then you find out from, you know, other, you know, people who are more experienced in the language that it doesn't stop there, that it's actually ataka There's this other little word that, that they actually leave out because it's um, implied in the phrase, you know, mm. and that little, this thing, blundur, this word means like a break or a pause. And then you find out that, the way, that where this comes from is that before the Arctic tern dives into the water to catch a fish, it hovers in the air without flapping its wings for just, you know, I don't know, just a, a second or a millisecond or something. It's doing nothing. It's, it's getting ready to dive into the water to get the fish. And so it pauses there. And so basically when you say, I'm going to go take a nap. It's about, it's about having this tiny little break. So it's just such a connection to the things that these people saw happening in nature around them. And it gives you a totally different way of thinking about this thing, this very simple thing that we say of, I'm going to go rest my eyes for a minute, or I'm going to go take a nap. And there are millions, there are hundreds and thousands and millions of things like that in all different languages that, that give you totally different pictures in your mind and make you think about things from a totally different angle. So I, I never, ever tire of this. Absolutely. I do remember sort of gribi dosht in Russian, like mushroom rain. That was one I yeah. always, whenever I look out the window and I see that kind of rain, I'm always like, oh, gribi dosht. Right. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. The, there was one in Portuguese and I'm not going to, I haven't spoken Portuguese for a long time, but the phrase to like go safely, they would say to walk, right. walk beneath the shadows. And I, I thought that was such a beautiful way of like sort of go carefully, like walk under the shadows. I can't remember quite the words and I'd probably end up butchering it. But um, yeah, I love those things in foreign languages. Yeah. Yeah. I did live in Russia. I lived in Siberia for a a year I taught English in Siberia, so I picked up a m- tiny amount of Russian. <laughs> wow, what an amazing experience! It was. It was what it was. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was incredible. Where were you? I was in Hantimansisk, which is a very sort of slap bang in the middle of Siberia. Um, the nearest city was um, Omsk, I think, but it was like right. seventeen hours to Omsk. It was like the nearest big city. <laughs> it's really unbelievable the size of that place isn't it (laughs) yeah 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 like going into the forest in siberia was just the most magical experience because it went on forever like and when when you're walking around it all looks the same and you sort of get this like a bit like a seasickness but it's like a beautiful it's not a bad thing it's like a beautiful mysterious thing and you can see why people have seen crazy things in the you know in the wilderness there because yeah it's vast it's so you can feel yeah. how vast it is yeah yeah it's it's really fascinating i'd really love to do the trans-siberian railway yeah man and, and that would uh, that would be incredible i think um 
but the people are pretty um the people are pretty incredible yeah in those smaller places um i wonder did you ever did you ever read any solzhenitsyn while you were there no like thinking about gulags in siberia or anything <laughs> i didn't they worked me really hard i was teaching english and i was working like six days a week so i had like very little free time um but yeah what's it what would you what would you recommend reading well just the archipelago the archipelago gulag about the system of you know prison camps in in soviet russia that you know that it was banned there for a long time but i just thought since you since you've been to siberia and you know the remoteness and the vastness of it it might it might be a great read for you cool man yeah it the people were lovely you're absolutely right there are of all the places i've ever been to the most welcoming the most hospitable yeah. They had a really great connection to nature too. Like they knew remedies and they knew um, yes. they knew so many things that were passed down from generations to do with the earth and to do with nature yeah. that as British people, we've fucking totally forgotten all that stuff. Okay. But it's like, oh, the yeah. pharmaceutical industry is where you need to go <laughs> in this country. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, isn't that incredible? The way, the knowledge that they have of herbs and and plants and trees and animals and everything is just mind-boggling. I really like, you know, in your, you did an interview with the, um, someone for, at Q Magazine and you were talking about your track, uh, Smug Cunt. I just loved how many times you mentioned that track name while you were talking to each other. It was so funny. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, you know, I wrote that about this. I mean, that would have been around the time that, you know, that that creature was being elected in the States. Right. You know, and um, I just couldn't believe that. I just couldn't believe that all these Christian people thought of him as the second coming they thought of him as God's choice. And I just thought, I mean, it was just mind blowing to see, you know, even, you know, people in my family, like my father and, you know, just thinking that, yeah, I was just thinking that this person was like somebody that was interested in their values, you know, you know, somebody that had spent their entire life making, making no bones about the fact that they would do anything to, um, anything to destroy somebody, anything to get the upper hand, anything to make money, any lie, any, you know, just this avarice, this, this avarice and ambition um, just went against everything that I was, that I was hearing about in the church when I was growing up. And I couldn't believe all these people were embracing this shit and thinking, this is the man for us. You know, this is the, but you know, it makes sense because that sort of is the American way because capitalism and ambition and money has taken over everything a long, long time ago. And so I, you know, I came to realize that this was the only conclusion that could ever be reached, or this was the only, you know, like on my new record, that's the only baby that bitch could have, you know, um, this system could only give birth to something like that because it's totally based on greed. Yes. And, um, Yeah. And so I guess he's he's a perfect he is a perfect example of the American way of life. And it was scary to scary to to see that people embracing him and but you know there's a lot of people who don't feel that way too, at least half the country. Definitely. I I I did but, encounter 
people in Britain who, I mean, one person in particular who will remain nameless, he ta- he said, viva la revolution, when Donald Trump came into power. Yeah. And that's the good news, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I just, yeah. Wow. The, I, I'm speechless. Yeah. I mean, they somehow managed to propagate. I mean, they got, I, they were somehow able to propagate people's deepest fears um, whether, yeah, I don't know whether it was all that Cambridge Analytica stuff through Facebook, through the internet. Um, but they, yeah, they managed to get to people's deep rooted fears and yeah. associate good things with this asshole. <laughs> yeah. So Smug Pot was a reaction to that, him being, you know, elected. And just watching, just watching, you know, the discourse just descend into the vilest human behavior, you know? Yeah. Making up. You know, he, how he constantly, you know, you you know, I don't have to tell you the tweeting and the the nastiness coming from them, the gaslighting, you know, the you know, they're doing this thing right in front of you. And then they say, no, I'm not doing that. You're doing it. It's childish. It was really childish. It's like. And yet, and yet it was working, you know, <laughs> yet it was. It is way up. It was working for them. You're right. Yeah. You're right that there was a lot of people that didn't like it, too. And um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, hopefully we're never going to see the likes of that again. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah, I sort of feel like something has come out that is never that can never be put back in. You know, I mean, we have a we have a nice little break from it for the moment, but there, I mean, the stuff that's going on in the states right now. You know, you have people, you have people in news programs telling the people who still believe Trump is still the actual president, telling them to confront people who wear masks on the street. Right. You know, go out and confront people who wear masks. And tell them you don't feel comfortable with them wearing a mask in public. The, I think these people have like they have a lack of control in their own life, and they need to try and control others because they know their lives mean nothing. I mean, obviously, it's way more complicated than that. But no, but the, yeah, but seriously, it's so it's so bewildering that normal thought processes fail fail us. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, smug punt. Yeah, I'm, I. I I felt every word of that when I performed that, for sure. Beautiful synths on that one. I think that was that was one thing to take from that song is that when I when I saw the track title for that when you released it, I was I wasn't sure what yeah. to make of that track, but I listened to it and it was like, wow, that's really beautiful, like a beautiful synth work <laughs> in it. Like I wasn't I was expecting it to be really nasty and maybe like some Rotterdam yeah. gabber or something really fucking way out. But yeah, beautiful yeah. synth work on that track, really. Thank you. I, that's one of my favorites too. Thank you. Yeah, that making that track was, and you know the the harmonies, the harmonies on the chorus too. Yeah, that was really fun to do. Hmm. Nice man. And you know, I think I think the beauty of the music sort of lends, you know, it sort of it makes the track extremely melancholy. It sort of cuts the rage of that sentiment into something more akin to melancholy because, you know, and expresses this sadness that that this disgusting human behavior is something that people want to teach their children to model themselves after and that they want to look up to it and say, this is the way a human should behave. And I thought, wow, we've really, this is the end, you know? <laughs> so Absolutely. I do remember an ex friend of mine who was very manipulative and he was manipulative, manipulative with girls and he had all these things yeah. that he would read up and like techniques to try and, like manipulate girls to get with you and you know he'd say things like 
women are all the same. They, you just need to do these five simple things and they'll all just... And he was such an arsehole. And, and listening to you describe that track, I was like, that's that person in my life that I yeah. swiftly cut out of my life who was that smug cunt who thought that that was fine. And that was... Is that a basis for a relationship? Like, is that starting point the basis for it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> you know, it's sad because it's like, Sure, go ahead, live your life like that, but you're never going to experience intimacy with anybody. You're never going to have intimacy. You're never going to have a real relationship. But, you know, that would be that would be pearls before swine because that wouldn't that would just fall on barren soil. Just saying that, they'd just be like, well, you know, you you know that you'd just be accused of being intolerant. Mm. You know, by them. <laughs> That's what happens, oh, you know, it's just yeah. like yeah, exactly, exactly. I, did you ever see Magnolia with Tom Cruise character? Yeah, I definitely see. That's definitely in my collection. Um, probably like a yeah, long he was time the guy, ago. He was the guy that he was the guy that did those. You know, he was the motivational speaker who taught men to think like that. It was about you know um, conquering the pussy or something like that. Yeah, I have to rewatch that man. Yeah, and those guys are actually real. They're just you know, like you said, they're they actually believe that that's an okay way to deal with somebody or approach somebody. Yeah. I, I just cut those people out of my life immediately. If I don't see like sincerity, yeah. integrity, honesty, a bit of openness. Self-awareness. Yeah. If I don't see that in people or if they get a bit too into what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And then you can, it, it, yeah, you end up having a really supportive group of friends and, uh, these people are just cartoon characters that existed a long time yeah. ago. Um, I'd yeah. just like to quickly mention uh, about your music videos that you've done, which I absolutely love. Because, um, and I spoke to Gwenifer Raymond, who's a Welsh primitive guitarist, in a few episodes ago. And her brother yeah. works with you on loads of your music videos. Yeah, he just had a little, he just had a little baby a couple of days yeah, ago. Yeah, she told me. She told me, yeah. Wow, how wonderful. Yeah, he's one of my favorite people. Him and him and his partner Ewan, I you know, the 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 video for Boy from Michigan. Of course we talk about it and we talk about what I want and I explain the song to them, but then they just go, I can just, you know, cuz I've done like five videos. This is like maybe the fifth video I've done with them, and they always just do something incredible. I can just tell them what I want or how I feel and they'll go off and do something like that. I mean, He's got his mother's hips is another yeah, one. Yeah, that's amazing. It's just bonkers <laughs> how good they are. And and I'm so, so grateful to the, that I get to work with them, you know? Yeah. How did you where, how did you meet those guys? Where did that where did that kick start? I think I got in touch with them because I had seen a, a video they'd done for Kate LeBon. And um I really wanted to work with them because I had become a fan of hers. This was probably around two thousand twelve. Actually, it was it was before that because I they did the they did the videos for um, Queen of Denmark. Yeah, and they so gee, yeah, and, and I think it was because um, of what I had seen them do for Kate, and that's how I met Kate too. Was because of them. Oh, nice! They're all yeah. so different. Like all the videos they've done for you are like um, they're so different and so wild. And so uh, yeah, free and adventurous. There's live action. There's live yeah. actors. There's like cartoons over live stuff. There's three D modeling. There's stop frame animation. Yeah. There's puppetry. 
Yeah, yeah, just spectacular. Really love love what they do. Yeah, thank you. I I couldn't agree more. Just like uber chuffed that I get to work with people like that. Who they they just get me because we're very we have very similar taste, and it's just one of those beautiful things that you could never you know that just happens. You know. Yeah, man. Excellent. Well, John, it's been amazing to speak to you today. You too, Chris. Really lovely. Thank you so much. I, I think you're fantastic, and uh, I look forward to more in the future. Oh wow! Well, thank you. And yeah, the same goes for you, man. Um, I think this episode's going to go out maybe after the release, but you are touring later in the year, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So people will be. I th- already tickets sold out. I've seen on the on the list. I I really love your music, John. I love your your openness and your honesty. It's really admirable. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you profoundly for speaking to me today, man. Oh, it's a pleasure, and thank you for that compliment, man. I I um I really appreciate it. it means a lot. Excellent. Cheers, John. Have a good rest of the day. Yeah, you too, Chris. Take care. Ah, oh, John Grant. What an amazing human being. I absolutely love that guy. Um, another another real 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 talent that um, if you haven't heard of you have to go and check out his music uh, especially boy from michigan his new album that's just come out is absolutely fantastic going back through uh, his material is amazing and he's touring this year so if you can get to go and see him live do it you won't regret it he's an amazing performer and human being Okay, uh, on the show next time, we've got someone from Japan. How cool is that? Yeah, we have a female artist from Japan who's headlined some really big festivals all over the world, and uh, she's an amazing artist. So really looking forward to putting that one out there. Thank you very much for listening once again. I really appreciate it. Uh, Shout out to everyone in the US, in Germany, in France, in Australia, in Finland, in Norway all over the world uh it's great to see everyone listening and i hope you uh, this brings you some joy thank you very much for listening once again i'm midiara and i'll see you again soon